Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. I'm Heath Cummings, your host for the day, filling in for Chris Towers, who was filling in for Scott White. But don't worry, you don't have to listen well, to me talk the whole time. I've got Scott White here with me. Chris Towers was filling in for Adam. Go Mason. ahead and correct me just right off the top, Scott. Thanks. Yeah, that's, Nobody that's would even how noticed. you can tell your third string. No one would even, even notice. back straight. Scott, you said nothing's happening in baseball. We have had a whirlwind of baseball activity since we last talked to the people. We're going to talk news and notes. We're going to go over your sleepers, breakouts, and busts. That's what's happening in baseball, your sleepers, breakouts, and busts. <laughs> We're going to talk about the steals as a category. We're going to analyze wins as a category. We're going to go over some emails. But before we do that, you know what Adam Azer loves more than any of those things? He loves regulating. He loves rankings disputes. He loves oh, it. Oh, that's true. When that's we argue thing. about the value of players, you hate it. It's one of my favorite things. I've got two players here, one for head-to-head, one for Roto, where we don't agree. We'll go over those players, then we'll get to the news and notes. And we're going to start with Jake Bowers. A similar situation, I think, to Andrew Benintendi, where Scott's just going to tell me that I'm crazy. I have Bowers as the number 13 first baseman in points leagues, number 36 in the outfield. Scott hates Jake Bowers, number 27 first baseman in points league, the number 62 outfielder. He doesn't even think he should be drafted in a standard mixed league. In 2018, Bowers hit 201 with a 316 on base percentage, 384 slug, 11 home runs, 48 RBI in 388 plate appearances. He did have a 40.5% hard contact rate. He did walk in 13.9% of his plate appearances. Unfortunately, he also struck out in 26.8. Why do you hate Jake Bowers? Cleveland Indian Jake Bowers. I didn't know I hated him. I thought I kind of liked him. But you have, um, relatively speaking, I guess, I guess I would have to say I hate him. Um, he got off to a nice start when he reached the big leagues last year and then crashed hard at the end. Clearly the Rays, that, that was kind of a weird trade, uh, that got him to Cleveland from Tampa Bay because, uh, the Rays got Yandy Diaz out of it. Yeah. Right. Who I, I don't think we have a lot of confidence in his offensive potential, but it kind of shows you where they stood on Jake Bowers. Uh, he does have a better chance of playing every day, I think, with Cleveland than he did with Tampa Bay. And so I've, I've bandied about the idea of moving him up a little. Uh, hey. I like that he walks a lot. Yeah, and that, that's uh, kind of my thing is, like, if you get a guy who at age 22 makes the quality of contact, it wasn't just hard contact and everything else was normal. He had like a 15% soft contact rate. He was making good contact on a regular basis. He walks a lot. His one real problem was that he struck out way too much for his power profile. But right. you look at his minor league strikeout numbers, and until last year, he'd never even struck out 20% of the time over a full season. And he's also got something we haven't talked about yet is a little bit of stolen base potential. Stole 16 bases last year between AAA and the majors. Stole 20 the year before in AAA. 
I just I don't think that's going to translate well. But I well, I he just he's all six in ninety six games. I don't understand how you can have him thirteenth. I mean, the kinds of first baseman you must be slotting him ahead of. Uh, I assume like Miguel Cabrera, uh, like Jerkson Profar, who I understand is not a pure first baseman, but was awfully productive last season. Matt Olson. I I think like, if I you go and ahead, look, you have him ahead of all those yes players. Oh oh yeah, and I and I, I went and looked. There were not very many hitters last year that had his hard contact rate and his walk rate and were not superstars. And I don't, yeah, so, I'm not saying for sure he's going to be a superstar, but the one thing we haven't talked about, other than the fact that Cleveland gives him a better chance to play every day, it's a slightly better park. More importantly, I expect he's hitting fifth in that order directly behind most likely a grouping that includes Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, and Carlos Santana. He is, Edwin Encarnacion had 109 RBI in that spot last year. Well, Edwin Encarnacion's been one of the best hitters in baseball over the last, what, six or seven years. He so. wasn't quite that last year. He wasn't quite that last year. But, yeah, I, I, I think you summed it up uh, for a player with his power profile, which, you know, it's it's not clear he's going to be this consistent 20-homer guy even. He's got to strike out less. He's got to show more batting average potential. He hit 201 last year, which, you know, probably wasn't totally um, deserved. But even so, uh, he just he did not show up enough last year to rank as a must have in um, in standard 12 team league. Well, that's the great thing about it. As long as Scott leaves him where he is in his rankings, you guys can all get him in the next to last round of fantasy drafts. And be very happy with the return you get in Roto. Scott has Herman Marquez as the number 19 starting pitcher, number 74 overall. I have him at number 29, number 99 overall. So not quite as big of a difference. He was 14 and 11 last year, 377 ERA, 120 whip, struck out 230 batters and finished like a ball of fire. Scott, you have no doubts about him repeating. I want to say I have no doubts. I'm a little self-conscious about this ranking, 19th overall. That's directly ahead of Mike Clevenger, Madison Bumgarner, who I don't like, Carlos Martinez, Jack Flaherty, David Price. I mean, it's 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 he's in a group of pitchers that I think have enough question marks in their own right. And when you compare the upside for Herman Marquez, who I mean, you said he was a ball of fire in the second half. He, you, I, I can't look up exactly where he finished now because that data has been pushed aside. But I was checking throughout the second half last year, and when you did, when you ranked starting pitchers by head-to-head scoring from the start of the second half on, he, it was always him and like Jacob Degrom, uh, like Justin Verlander, like like uh, Max Scherzer, like he was up there with the. Um, the Cy Young finalist throughout the second half with a huge strikeout rate. Uh, that I mean, he the kinds of adjustments he made, uh, help help explain how that was possible. Uh, well, and, and correct breaking me if, out these two awesome breaking balls to go with high nineties heat. And a lot of it was he started throwing his slider just a lot more, right? Yeah. I just get a little bit worried, not that he was doing it to the extent and he was much better, and I don't think he falls back to the degree, but I get a little bit worried about the Matt Shoemaker effect. 
that works a lot of times with pitchers when they make a change in their arsenal and start throwing one secondary pitch just a, a, a lot more of the time. A lot well, of times I, that I worked for a half Shoemaker's a season. I think in case, it was more of a gimmick. and Marquez's case, it was more of a, his stuff is awesome. Now let's figure out a way to maximize it. And that's what happened last year. Uh, I think he also made it change the way he uh, he his delivery to the plate. It was kind of like he was telegraphing his second pitches, secondary pitches before because he would slow down as he delivered them. And so he kind of tightened that up. Like he made a lot of changes that really helped that arsenal pop. I mean, the stuff is great. Like in terms of how hard he throws, the kind of break he gets on those pitches. Like there's no deny. Like the the only the biggest concern for me with Marquez is where he's pitching his home games. Yeah, that's that. And we saw a lot of good Rockies pitchers last year, and not the one that we thought was going to be good. It will be interesting to see how those guys do. Let's get to the news and notes on just a very busy week of baseball news. Mariano Rivera, Roy Halladay, Edgar Martinez, and Mike Mussina all in the Hall of Fame. How do you feel about Rivera being the first 100% vote guy? I'm glad it's over. Like I'm glad nobody can use the excuse, well, if such and such and such and such weren't 100% guys, then... I shouldn't vote for this guy just to make sure he's not either because, okay, well now the lid is off, right? So, uh, I, I've already predicted on Twitter that Derek Jeter will be the second 100% guy next year. Wow. And that's going to be I something. Think, that's going to be really something. I, I think with those obvious cases, we'll see more and more of it. Somebody like Roy Halladay, I, I don't think he was obvious enough, even though he got in on the first ballot. I don't think he was obvious enough. Uh, that he you would expect him to get 100%. But the next time, like, a Ken Griffey comes up or a Greg Maddox, where there's just no doubt this guy obviously belongs in the Hall of Fame, I, I think we'll see the 100% a little easier going forward. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too bad that we're going to have a closer and, like, the 75th best player of all time as the two 100% guys. After <laughs> it, it, is kind, it is kind of disappointing that that's who it is. A closer. I agree. Sonny Gray, speaking of the Yankees, was dealt to the Cincinnati Reds. Do you have any hope that this matters at all for fantasy? I mean, change of scenery. He was good before he went to the Yankees. I don't know if it was the stage that messed him up or or whatever. Uh, but he's been a guy who, for a couple different stints in his career, was a legitimate Cy Young contender and because he's a ground ball pitcher one of the best ground ball pitchers in the majors that environment should be one he's equipped to handle now I said that when he went to Yankee Stadium too um, I don't really understand what went wrong for him there I'm not you know investing in him heavily based on this but I'm not ruling out a bounce back for him either I think the Reds have put together very interesting team heading into 2019. Maybe the most interesting team in all the majors because I think the offense is basically there. They already have a playoff caliber offense and they've assembled this rotation filled with pitchers who have been good in the past. Uh, but they were, they kind of got them, you know, for 50 cents on the dollar in the hopes of rehabilitating them. It's unrealistic to think they'll all hit and the other ones i'm referring to are alex wood tanner roark i think there's a third one there 
also. So shed long Josh Stowers, a couple of, uh, maybe I should use air quotes, but prospects involved in this deal. Uh, either of them have a chance to be relevant this year or long term? I mean, Shed Long was in my top 10 second base prospects that I wrote this offseason for Sportsline. He is, he's kind of interesting, power speed guy at second base. And now that he's with a rebuilding team uh, that doesn't have an obvious option to second base, you know, being sent on to Seattle after that trade uh, that sent Sonny Gray from the Yankees to the Reds. I, I I think it's possible he does get called up this year. I'm not probably investing in him outside of a very deep AL only league, but he's not a nobody. How much are you moving as Drupal Cabrera up in your rankings? He signed with the Texas Rangers and it sounds like he will play third base full time. Yeah. They finally figured out how they're going to fill that spot. <laughs> Looking at their depth chart, they had to get somebody. And I mean, as Drupal Cabrera has been I think a useful, undervalued option for a few years in a row now. I think uh, he's probably a top 20 second baseman for sure. Well, let me look at my second base I, rank. I didn't here, have him anywhere I, close to that, but I wasn't certain that he was going to land in a spot that was quite this good. It's a good park. It's not a good lineup, but it's not a terrible lineup. And there's really nobody else on that roster that can play third base. Right. No, he's going to play. I just wonder, okay, so 20th range, I have guys like Jeff McNeil, who's playing time is questionable, Nick Senzel, who obviously has a lot of upside, but not a job to begin the year. As Drupal Cabrera, I currently have 25th, so he wasn't far behind. I could see moving him into the 20th range, sure. More news that matters. Cody Allen, who signed with the Angels, will close for the Angels, per GM Billy Epler. Which is... Sad that it won't be Ty Buttery. We enjoyed our time with Ty Buttery, I think. Where are you going to rank Cody Allen in your closer rankings? Not high. No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't think he's going to be among the more reliable options, though. There's something to be said for just having a role. I think in 2019, that we're going to see less and less of the designated every save chance closer yeah i think he almost has to be like in terms of saves rank if you're just ranking based on saves he has to be top 20 just because there may not be 20 other guys that have jobs yeah 20 is not terribly high so yeah i would i i i would probably put him around ken giles who i think is in a similar spot don't entirely trust the performance but right you know he's the save source for his team yeah, and it gets difficult in Roto ranking those guys. I mean, we give you rankings, but it, it's going to determine when you get to that point in the draft, do you need saves? Or are you worried about your ratios? You might take somebody that's not going to get very many saves, but you'd just rather have them on your team. Um, but I, I think, I mean, this is about the best case scenario for, for Allen coming into the offseason. Nick Markakis back with the Braves on a one year deal. I assume this will be a platoon situation with Adam Duvall. Well, I don't think so, because it wasn't down the stretch last year. I, I expect he's going to play every day. Markakis. I did, um, I did see something interesting after this signing where they were talking about a potential lineup. I can't remember who it was from the Braves. And Ozzy Albies was not listed in the first six names. That is interesting. I, I didn't notice that part of it. But yeah, Brian Snitker 
revealed the Braves manager, of course, revealed what he how he expected his lineup to look heading into next season. Now that Marquez is back, and he said it would be Ender Enciarte back in the leadoff spot, followed by Josh Donaldson, Freddie Freeman, Ronald Acuna batting fourth, Nick Marquez fifth. Who did, well, who did you see sixth? I, I figure Albies would have to be. Maybe sixth. Albies was sixth. Maybe it wasn't in yeah. the top five, which right. sixth is better than seventh, but it's still a, a far cry from what we expected from Ozzy Albies, at least what I expected when I ranked second baseman a, a month ago. Yeah. So what I, um, the most important thing I took from that is that Acuna wouldn't be batting leadoff anymore, which I, I, I think makes sense from the Braves' perspective in that, particularly in the NL, when you have the pitcher batting directly in front of them, whenever the lineup turns over, you know, that's your best power hitter in the leadoff spot. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, uh, Ronald Acuna, about the only running he did last year was out of the leadoff spot. And I've, I've already had concerns about how big of a base dealer he's really going to be, uh, just because it was kind of underwhelming. Once he got to the majors last year, big base dealer in the minors. But I feel like historically the Braves, um, they haven't run much to begin with, but particularly uh, from guys they rely on in the middle of their lineup, big bats. They don't ask them to run much. I mean, Andrew Jones covered as much ground as any center fielder ever, right? And he hardly had big steal seasons. He had a couple 20 steal years, I think. So the the thought of Acuna being a 30 or 40 steel guy, I think, is just I, I think it's unrealistic. I I hope for 20 and I don't think you can I could guarantee 20. No, it's maybe a 15 to 25 situation. Cattell Marte will play center field per the Diamondbacks GM. The Dodgers are talking about trading Jock Peterson and they sound like they're pretty uh, deep into talks with A.J. Pollock. The Twins signed Martin Martin Perez and plan on starting him. That sounds like a terrible plan for the Twins. And speaking of terrible lefties, Scott's going to object to me saying that, Drew Pomerantz <laughs> signed a one-year, $1.5 million deal with the New York Giants. Yeah. Yeah, who was it? I'm sorry, I missed the name. I was chuckling at you. Drew Pomerantz. Drew Pomerantz. Okay. Are you excited about that? You know what I'm excited about? What? Investing. Who out there is looking to invest right now? And who would like a free stock when you start investing? We've got an app and a URL for you to remember. The app is Robinhood. The URL to go to is strike.robinhood.com. That's strike.robinhood.com. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Robinhood's also a great way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. The app is really easy to use. You can track stocks that you're interested in. You can view stock collections like 100 Most Popular or Social Media. And of course, the best part, no commission fees. Other brokers charge $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge a commission fee. You can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at strike.robinhood.com. That's strike.robinhood.com. 
Scott, are you ready to talk about your sleepers, breakouts, and busts? I would love to talk about my sleepers, breakouts, and busts, Heath. I just thought, you know, I I don't know a lot about this filling in for people stuff. I don't get to do it as much as I did, oddly, in year one, which I guess maybe in year one they thought Heath might be able to do this, and then clearly Heath can't. But I thought <laughs> talking about things that Scott has written is a thing that we do on the show all the time. You have 10 to 12 sleepers, breakouts, and busts. I chose three kind of selfishly that I was most interested in your justification for. And I'm not going to argue with them for the most part. <laughs> I I am just curious. Uh, let's start with sleepers. You've got, you, Luke, you know, you could have read the column and then you want to be curious anymore. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, I could have. Yes. Luke, but then the listeners wouldn't be able to hear this. Luke oh, okay. Voigt. 333, 405, 689, and 148 plate appearances with the Yankees last year. Scott has him as his number 18 first baseman in Roto. I've got him at number 24. I could be convinced to move him up, but this is a an extremely small sample size and a baseball team that has way more players than lineup spots. I'm a little concerned about Luke Voigt. Well, who else is playing first base? Greg Bird? Anyone can play first base. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's some thought that maybe they could shift Gary Sanchez there if he can't get it right behind the plate, or Miguel Andohar if he can't get it right at third base, or DJ LeMahieu. Okay, I, I guess, I guess I can understand that. But it, they are on the record now saying is they are going to give Luke Voigt a chance to win this job, um, in spring training and. Apparently, this is somebody they targeted for a long time from the Cardinals because they liked the way his bat profiled at Yankee Stadium. And we saw the way it profiled at Yankee Stadium. He hit a lot of home runs, and he hit them to the opposite field. He is one of the most extreme opposite field hitters on fly balls in all of baseball. And that's obviously a good thing for a right-handed hitter at Yankee Stadium. That's the easiest right field to hit it out of, probably in all of baseball. Two-thirds of his home runs last year, 10 of the 15, were to center or right. Um, and these were, you know, for the most part, these were big, long home runs. Okay. Um yeah, I, I, I think the bat profiles perfectly for the venue. And I think we saw it got a small taste of what that's like. And I, I think the Yankees, with all their resources, the fact they didn't bring in a veteran first baseman, speaks, speaks volumes of about how they feel about Boyd. Speaking of will he keep his job or will he even have his job, number two on Scott Sleepers that Heath is questioning, but could be convinced about Fran Mel Reyes, 283-44-98 last year in 285 plate appearances. Scott has him as number 49 outfielder in Roto. I've got him at number 77 because there are just too many outfielders on the Padres. There are, and it's possible he doesn't win the job. I think the fact he had a knee procedure this offseason uh, doesn't help his chances, but he's supposed to be fine for the start of spring training, so in theory that shouldn't matter. There, there are current, and I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but my understanding is there is currently one outfield spot available on the Padres. Will Myers is playing left, Hunter Renfro is playing right, correct? I don't know that Renfro is a guarantee. Oh, okay. Will Myers is. Uh, I think Fran Mil Reyes is 
other than Will Myers, he's the best outfielder the Padres have. Ooh. And I, I mean, for the most part, you could just evaluate him on his full season line. I mean, he hit 280 with 16 homers and 261 at bats in the majors last year. I mean, you profile that out to a full season, that's 280 with 30 something home runs, you know? But that, even that kind of understates the potential, I think, because if you look what he was doing in the minor leagues, really not striking out much at all for a big six foot five power hitter. He struck out a ton during his first taste of the majors last year, got sent back down for a while, made some tweaks to his swing, came back up, and over his final 49 games from August 5th on, hit 318 with 10 homers and a 933 OPS. The strikeout rate was way down, more in line with what he did in the minors. And he hits the ball to all fields. He does it with a great line drive rate, similar exit velocity to Giancarlo Stanton. This looks like not just a monster power hitter, but a good all-around hitter, too. Somebody who could anchor the middle of the Padres lineup for years to come. But let's just, I, I want to clarify one thing. It's, you can't conceivably put Will Myers, Fran Mill Reyes, and Hunter Renfro in the same outfield unless you're going to play another guy in the outfield, right? Um, like you, they can't. I mean, it wouldn't be a good outfield. I'm not sure how much center field Myers or Renfro has played. I don't think you could play for Emil Reyes out there. No, I don't uh, think. I don't think. I mean, maybe Will Myers has played center field before. I don't think Will Myers is going to be much better than Emil Reyes at this stage right. of their careers in center field. So, it's probably going to come down to Hunter Renfro versus Emil Reyes. And it's interesting because I think most people are just assuming that Hunter Renfro's got a job. That might be quite a competi- competition. It might be. And you know what? Even if Reyes doesn't win the job in spring training, I think he'll be somebody worth holding on to because he'll, I mean, I don't know if you saw his minor league numbers last year, but that's obviously where the excitement started right. for him. Okay. Um, n- number third one. And this is actually a sleeper that I agree with so much that I have him ranked 12 spots higher than you do. Josh James for the Houston Astros. Only threw 23 innings last year in the majors, but he was pretty good. 11.3 K per nine in the minor leagues, 114 innings last year, 13.5 strikeouts per nine innings. He's Scott's number 73 starting pitcher in Roto. My number 61. Move him up, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I am going to move him up. Actually, I made a note to do that after our last mock draft. So he is eventually, where did you say you had him at starting pitcher? 61. 61. Okay, I plan to move him up to 64. Perfect. So, there we go. Yeah, right in the same range. Yeah, so very interesting story, Josh James. He picked up 10 miles per hour on his fastball last year. I mean, picking up 2 miles per hour on your fastball is a huge profile altering. Did he grow 6 inches? <laughs> No, I mean, the story is, and, you know, we can theorize beyond the story if we want, but the story is sleep apnea was something he was dealing with, didn't know he was dealing with it, wasn't sleeping well for years, and uh, got diagnosed with it, got one of those, you know, pieces of equipment you strap onto your face to sleep every night when you have sleep apnea, and uh, was suddenly had, had this newfound energy that, wait, uh, wait a second. Wait he a didn't second. even know he was missing. Mike Napoli got like his entire face broken because he had sleep. Now they've got just a thing they put on your face and it's all fine? 
I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> I, I mostly just know. Because, well, <laughs> I don't know how much I want to reveal, but somebody in my family has sleep apnea. Okay, they have something they strapped to. Their Didn't face. Mike Napoli get his like every bone in his face broken or something? He had like, yeah. They they basically reshaped his face. The the only the only thing I would say is maybe Josh James should be a breakout, and your first breakout we're going to discuss should be the sleeper because he seems like he's like forty years old and he's probably only like twenty eight. But he's twenty. Na- 20- Six. Oh no. wait, the other guy or Josh yes, James? yes, Na- okay. nasty Nate Evaldi, Nathan Evaldi. Yeah, three point three three ERA last year in fifty four innings with the Boston Red Sox. Eight strikeouts per nine, a one point two eight WHIP. He's Scott's number sixty two starting pitcher. So you need to move Josh James up at least to sixty two because he should be ahead of Nate Evaldi. I've got Evaldi at seventy one. I am not convinced that he is much different than he's ever been. Well, his arsenal is radically different. Now, whether or not you're convinced that it's going to impact the numbers, that's fair to ask, I guess. But he was primarily a fastball slider pitcher before. He cut back on the slider and started emphasizing a new pitch, a cutter, last year. And... The, the importance of that is it, what's what's always been the story for Nate Evaldi. Guy throws really hard. high 90s, 100 miles per hour, but doesn't really miss bats with it. Well, the cutter is so much closer to that fastball in terms of velocity and um, uh, I guess movement. It, it doesn't move as, as much as the slider. So it, it's it's harder to differentiate between his cutter and his fastball than it was his fastball and his slider. And, and his strikeouts. And what that led to is a much higher swinging strike rate on the fastball. The fastball actually started looking like an elite fastball in terms of how many bats it was missing for Avaldi last year. And it led to basically career best numbers across the board. It, it was a career best strikeout rate, but it was 8.2 Ks per nine also. Yeah. I think that's good enough, considering he's going to be pitching for the Red Sox for a full season, uh, if we give him good health. Like, the ceiling here is Rick Porcello, right? That's kind of the comparison I made in the column. I didn't I didn't describe it as the ceiling, but I think there's a Rick Porcello-like outcome here for Evaldi, yes. Okay, and we're going to talk about Rick Porcello in just a little bit. I don't, I've never liked him, obviously. Actually, I think we've gone back every other year where one year I've got him like 30 spots higher than you and one year you've got him 30 spots higher than me. Uh, mm. Let's talk about Jesse Winker because I think that I was the first Jesse Winker fanboy and I loved him back when he had like a 40% hard contact rate and never hit home runs. He hit 299 last year, 405 on base, 431 slug because he didn't have much power, did not steal a base though. Uh, Scott, I'm as, you have him as your number 41 outfielder. Yeah. I've got him at number 69. And it's for a, a kind of a similar reason to the other guys. I'm not sure that Jesse Winker's playing every day. Well, the Matt Kemp-Yasiel Puig trade made it less obvious, for sure. I mean, they added two outfielders to the mix. Uh, you got to figure Puig's going to be playing every day. There's no way Matt Kemp deserves to start over Winker. I am a little concerned it might be a platoon situation at the start. But if Winker performs like I think he can, he'll quickly um, 
put that to rest. Yeah, my, I my mean, the cons- guy reached base at a 405 clip. Yeah, he year. was he was awesome last year. I think he's going to be very good. I don't like, I, like I think it's almost certain Matt Kemp is playing against lefties. I don't know if it'll be for Scott Shebler or for Jesse Winker, but I think Shebler was better against lefties last year, wasn't he? Uh, I think he was pretty good. Yeah, and he's he's projected to be the center fielder. I don't. Yeah, Kemp's not playing. I mean, you I could move Winker to center, I guess. Right. Uh, but but my point is, I mean, Winker Winker hit seven home runs last year for the season, but six of them came over the final month. Oh, oh yeah, I remember up. when he went like eight weeks or something. It seemed like, and I just kept saying he's he's going to start hitting home runs. He's going to, and then he hit six of them in three weeks, and then got hurt for the season. Yeah, it was a little longer than six weeks or three weeks or even a month. But the point was, it was a very concentrated span of time right before the injury. Um, and like you said, the batted ball pro- profile lends itself to that. It, it actually looks almost identical to Joey Votto's in terms of how many line drives he's hitting, the walk to strikeout ratio, how hard he's hitting the ball. Uh, hitting it to all fields. It, it's like Winker is a mini version of Joey Votto. And I, I think he, the power is going to be fine. I think he is going to be a consistent 20 homer guy, if not better, in the majors. Because if you look earlier in his minor league career, you know, he was a guy who was hitting 15, 16 home runs. Uh, I feel like in today's major league environment, you get anybody with a certain baseline hitting ability, which Winker certainly has. I mean, he looks like a natural at the bat. It's it's not that hard to add power onto that, and I think we were starting to see that towards the end of last season. Probably the biggest drawback to Winker heading into 2019 is that he is coming off surgery to repair a labrum in his shoulder. Right. But he, like, there, there's a positive spin to that, too, because that's an injury he says he's been playing with through for a couple years, which about coincides with when the home run total started dropping off in the minors. So you could make the case that maybe that was partially responsible for the lack of home runs in the minors. But, you know, the fact that he started homering in the majors, I don't even know that it matters that much. I oh. think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be great. I think I think he has an enormous breakout potential. I'm going to move him up from where I have him ranked, but I can't get him as high as you do until I get some. I'm just – I. I don't like Matt Kemp, but I think Matt Kemp is probably still going to ter- terrorize left-handed pitching. And so I don't think they're going to stop using him against left-handed pitching. And I think that's bad news for Jesse Winker. The third breakout, Jerickson Profar, had a bit of a breakout last year in his first full season. 254, 335, 458, 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases. He is Scott's number 17 third baseman, number 14 shortstop. I've got him 19 at third base, 17 at shortstop. Tell me that there's going to be something from Jurek's profile that we didn't see last year. Like what's, yeah, where's he go from there? Be, there's going to be batting average. I think he profiles as more of a 280 hitter than the 254 we saw last year. And you know, in a good year, that means he could hit even higher than 280 in a year where he has especially good luck. But last year he had especially bad luck. Which sounds funny to say in what was to this point his breakout season, but his BABIP was among the worst among full time players. It was only two sixty nine. And 
you know, a lot of players do profile for a low Babbitt, but it's usually because they're hitting a ton of fly balls, not hitting many line drives. I mean, profile in terms of the quality of contact he was making, he was pretty average across the board. So I would expect an average 300 Babbitt from him as opposed to that 269 mark. And as little as he strikes out, uh, the way he started adding power to his game last year, that to me should come out to about a 280 batting average. And particularly in points leagues where, you know, he's not getting minus 0.5 uh, as often because the strikeouts are so low and he's hitting a lot of extra base, getting a lot of extra base hits. I think he's going to be pretty close to high end. I mean, I don't know that the profile is that dissimilar from Anthony Rendon, really. He has first, third, and short eligibility. Is that right? First, third, and short, yes. And, and will he's get going second. to be primarily playing second base for the A's. And I think the second base is the key. I don't really think in a in a standard league I'm going to start Jerickson Profar at first, third, or short. But I might start him at second base. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would think so. I, I would... <laughs> expect by the end you're starting him anywhere if he has this Anthony Rendon like season but that's obviously a best case scenario let's get to your busts and one of my favorite parts about doing sleepers breakouts and busts before like even the Super Bowl has happened uh is you don't really know what the public perception of players is what their ADP is going to be or what their consensus ranking is so your first bust I think everyone just may agree with you already Scott George George Springer, Springer. Yes, 265. Oh. He was just, he was fine last year. Not very good at all, really. 265, 346, 434. You still have him as your number 15 outfielder. I have him as my number 14 outfielder. The current Fantasy Pros consensus ranking has him as the number 17 outfielder. The highest anyone has him is number 14. Yeah, but when will they actually take him? Because I just don't expect to draft him at all. I, he went in round five of the head-to-head points mock we did the other day. Uh, that's about the earliest I'd consider taking him. And I don't. And I think in five outfielder roto leagues, we're going to see him go round four, maybe even round three, sometimes. Which to me is it. It, it just like I feel like that's valuing him according to his ceiling that we've really only seen once in his career. He's given us one 30 homer season. And while he doesn't strike out much at this stage of his career, he's one of those guys who you look at the kind of contact he makes and well, he does profile for a low Babbitt. So him it being a two sixty ish hitter, I don't think that changes either. Um, yeah, it's, it's, <sighs> He it sounds like you think you have him too bats high. at the top of the Astros lineup, but that's probably the best thing he has going for him. What were you saying? It sounds like you think you have him too high. I mean, maybe, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's a range of outfielders where it's hard to get excited about any of them. The, the problem me. is he doesn't steal bases, and I, I feel like I have him too high. The more you look into his numbers, because he. Like you said he had 130 homer season, and maybe that's not quite fair because he had a 29 homer season too. But just go with by his mm-hmm. OPS, he's got one year with an 820 or 830 OPS or better. Like he's just kind of been good 
and not great. And runs are really the only thing it looks like he's going to be a plus plus contributor in. And you, I, I think you're right. I don't think you can take that in the fourth round of a draft. I don't think so either. All right. Um, I agree. Maybe Scott. I can move him behind Whit Merrifield. Maybe yes. behind Reese Hoskins in a points league. Yes. But that's it. That like <laughs> you beyond should, that, you should you move him behind your next bust. You get into like Michael Brantley's and Justin Upton's and Mitch some similarly flawed players. Mitch Haniger coming off a 285, 366, 493 year with 26 home runs and eight stolen bases. And Scott White says he's a bust. You're number 26 outfielder. I've got him number 19 in the outfield. I think the consensus probably closer to you on this one. He's number 28 in the consensus. So you're still uh, above the consensus ranking. What? Why do you hate Mitch Haniger after you loved him so? Well, I I <laughs> I think he broke through in a way that um, people don't doubt him what he brings to the table anymore, which is fine. I mean, what he brings to the table is has a certain level of value, but. All right, let me start over. This yeah. is not making sense. That's, that's all right. We're, 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 oh, ta- we're talking. I'm talking Roto when I give you these rankings. So, Ro- I mean, Roto, a guy that gets you even. Let's take it off a little bit because the Mariners' offense won't be as good this year. But 85 runs, 85 RBI, 25 home runs, and a 280 average. That's a very valuable. That's a that's better than George Springer. Well, here's the problem. I don't think he's going to give you even those running RBI totals. So much of his value last year was from him being a 93 RBI, 90 run guy. You drop those to 85. I think he could go even lower that than that, given the state of the Mariners lineup. They gave up. They got rid of their three best hitters, other than Haniger himself. They got rid of Cano. They got rid of Cruz. They got rid of Gene Segura. Well, he didn't There's have Cruz for most of last year lineup. anyway. Or, or, he didn't have Cano for most of last year anyway. Okay, that's true. But there's not much in that Mariners lineup other than Mitch Haniger himself. And I don't think there's enough power um, really to uh, for him to be the... I, I don't think he's the kind of player who can carry himself. I think he profiles similarly. If you're not giving him that boost from his supporting cast, I think a 280 hitting 25 homer outfielders, they're, they're kind of a dime a dozen in this present environment and uh trying to think of a good comp i know i have one in the comp. what's what's wrong with george springer as a comp well because george springer is going to score more than that i'm trying to make a comp of somebody who's not valued very highly no i I guess what what i'm i'm debating your two busts right now and i had springer ranked ahead of hanniger before this so i'm not trying to say you were wrong for having it that way but the more that I think about it, I don't know why we would rank George Springer ahead of Mitch Haniger. Well, he's going to score 100 runs. He's going to score probably 20 to 25 more runs. And I would assume be worse in every other category. Um, I mean, I would give, I would give Springer the edge in home runs. I would give Haniger the edge in batting average. But I think that's a closer call than... Obviously, the runs. No, I would. I would give. I would give Springer the advantage in all four categories. Steals. I mean, we're completely leaving those out because neither does much of that. You give Springer the advantage in average. Uh, I will give Hanniger a slight average. 
advantage and average, but I could certainly, yeah, I I think that's a pretty close. And I don't know that we know what the Mariners lineup is going to look like, but I don't know that Malik Smith can be that much worse as a leadoff hitter than Gene Segura. Um, Malik Smith worse than Gene Segura. I don't know. I, I look at that Mariners lineup and it's pretty sad. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Jay Bruce, Edwin Encarnacion, Domingo Santana. They still got I mean, him. if you expect Edwin Encarnacion to be there. Right. Long, yeah. We, that, that's, that's the other thing we don't really know. Your final bust. Yeah. I actually dislike more than you do. It's Kyle Freeland. 17 wins last year with a 285 ERA, a 125 whip. And it wasn't real. I don't buy it. Scott's got him at number 50 at starting pitcher. I've got him at number 73. And neither of us are getting him in drafts at that ranking. Yeah. You don't want him, do you? No, I don't want, I don't want Kyle Freeland. No. (laughs) (laughs) You can't, he was a guy who you kept waiting to fall off last year because you looked at, uh, you know, at the supporting numbers and it, it just didn't add up to the kind of performance he was having, especially considering he pitches his home games at this park where historically every pitcher over the long run ends up failing. Uh, he's below average strikeout pitcher. He's a below average control pitcher. He's below average at, at well, he's no better than average at getting ground balls. It's you, not like he's some extreme ground ball generator. You don't want to rank him ahead of Josh James. I, I do rank him. Ahead. I mean, one thing you have to consider with Josh James is like he doesn't have a rotation spot yet. I, I expect he'll win one, but you know, he hasn't until he has. I think you'd rather have Josh James on your bench than Kyle Freeland on your bench. Probably, yeah. Okay, so we'll move Josh James ahead of Kyle Freeland. Okay, <laughs> we've talked about Scott's articles enough. I've got something new that I'm doing this year. We're not going to cover all of the categories, or we might, depending on what Adam says when he gets back next week. But uh, breaking down the Roto categories, just trying to give some information and a sleeper breakout and bust for each category. We're going to go over steals and wins real quick. Only two times in the last 40 years were there less stolen bases than there were in 2018. And both of those years were strike years. Only 11 players stole 30 bases last year. Three of them will be on the Royals this year. Eight of them will be in the American League this year. So it's bad news for NL-only category leagues. And I, I guess like my question, because last year it took 168 steals to win. The difference between that and third place was 23. The difference between that and the sixth place it was 125 just to be average at steals. So how are you approaching steals? You just get them as they come, or are you aggressively seeking them? What are you going to think of that? I usually like to get one big base stealer if I can. I think it's easier this year, actually, than in, than in past years, because who are the two leading base stealers? It was Whit Merrifield. Trey Turner. Trey Turner, sure. Um, and Adalberto Mondesi wasn't far behind. He might actually be the one who projects for the most because he did his in such a short span of time. All of those players contribute something other than steals. It's not like you're having to uh, punt on all the other categories with a Billy Hamilton or a D. Gordon, though those are still options later in the draft than ever before. So they're available later. These other guys who are available early, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing as much to take them. 
Uh, so I find I'm usually able to get one of them and, you know, just kind of fill in little by little after that, not really making it a huge priority because there's no, you obviously like one of the upsides to there being fewer big steals guys available is, um, you don't need as many to compete either. Right. Because it's all relative to how your opponents are doing. Right. It is, I think, a little bit more difficult to catch up. Like there um, will be guys that you can just totally like you can go pick up a Cameron Maben and or a Rajai Davis is probably a better example from years past where he just doesn't do anything but steal bases. Um, I think especially in NL only, you've got to be a little bit more aggressive. What I would like to do is get one of those guys that go in the first five or six rounds that are going to be very good at other things and give me a head start at steals. I want to, I want to take a steals guy in the first probably four or five rounds. Yeah. I mean, but not just a steals guy. I, so far I've been able to draft Alberto Mondesi or Whit Merrifield. And that I think gives you a nice head start. Yes. Um, you know, unless you're just completely ignoring steals from thereafter, you could feel pretty confident you're going to finish at least in the middle of the pack with one of those guys, if not higher, in the case of Mondesi. Okay, I'll so give th- you my uh, my sleeper, breakout, and bust. I'll give you a chance to tell me I'm stupid on each of them. Uh, the sleeper, and this is going to sound really ridiculous, but it's Billy Hamilton. His consensus ranking, last I looked, was right around 180. This is a guy who used to get drafted in the fifth or sixth round, and a couple of years justified it. He had a terrible year last year, but it was just two years ago that he hit 247 and was a top 70 player in Roto because of his steals. And now he's going to a team that has made it extremely obvious with every move and the way they finished last year that they're going to run like crazy. Mm-hmm. There is a great chance that Billy T- Hamilton returns enormous value where you're going to draft him. Yeah, there is. I can't. Can't I tell can't me tell I'm stupid on crazy. that one. Now, this sleeper breakout of bust, these are for steals specifically, right? Right, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I've always been opposed to drafting Billy Hamilton where you'd have to take him, which in the past has been like round four. Uh, and I'd always argue against it. This is the year. If there was ever a year to invest in Billy Hamilton, this is it because he is he was placed on the scrap heap uh the royals are trying to salvage him and like you said they're the team uh best suited to tap into that skill because they've made it clear that's how they're going to generate offense this year between him Mondesi and Merrifield they're going to be moving on the bases my breakout for steals is Victor Robles. Just please do not return to Washington Bryce Harper. I think Robles should still have a job even if he does, but he is almost certainly going to be a starting outfielder for the Nationals as long as Bryce Harper doesn't come back. And I don't think he's just a steals guy. I think he's got a No, he's not. He was he's a not just 300 a hitter in the minor leagues. He's got a yeah. chance to be kind of maybe in year 1 something a little bit like Malik Smith was last year. Oh, I would give him even more power than that. Uh, I would like to see more power. He didn't have much, pa- much power in the minors last year because of uh, that t- that hyperextended elbow he was coming back from. But I think I think he's a 12 to 15 homer guy ultimately, maybe even higher 
when he's in his prime. Yes. Year one, I think 10 to 12 would be outstanding. I, I think optimistically, even in year one, you could talk about him. And I know <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling this to the guy who has Andrew Benintendi ranked, what, 13th overall? Yes. So, you know, I don't want to play it up too much, but, uh, I could see Robles being a much faster version of Andrew Benintendi. But just not in near as good of offense, so he wouldn't have the same running RBI numbers. I mean, no. No, it's not the Red Sox, but it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, my bust for the category is Gene Segura. He's actually seen his stolen base numbers go down each of the last two years. Last year he was caught stealing 11 times, and I'm not sure that matters if you stay on the Mariners. But going to Philadelphia, Gabe Kapler has not been a friend to the stolen base. They had one player that attempted more than 14 stolen bases last year. That was Cesar Hernandez, who attempted 25. I'm just not sure that Segura is going to be a great source of steals any longer. And we know he's not a power source. That was an aberration. Well, it was also in Arizona, back when Arizona was the most one of the most hitter-friendly locations. Right, so the humidor. we just know that that's not what he is. Well, then he went to Seattle, and now he's going to Philadelphia, which is much closer to Arizona in terms of friendliness to hitters, right? Well, okay, he played three and a half years in Milwaukee, which is one of the most friendly, but that was before, yeah. that was before he gained his man strength? Well, it was before he was good. He was, he was not good in Milwaukee. And then he did have a 20 homer season in Arizona. He's hit 21 mm-hmm. over the last two years in Seattle. Maybe he'll hit 15. Sure. But if sure. no, I, I think, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is you, I think you could make the case. I, I think you make a very good case as far as specifically stolen bases are concerned. Like this might be, um, you know, you, you, I don't know that you can count on Segura for even 20 with Gabe Kapler as his manager because that's, that just seems like so far from what the Phillies want to do. But I do think Segura has some all around sleeper potential going from Seattle to Philadelphia. Yeah. It, it's a definitely a better offense. I'm not sure it's a lot better in terms of what's directly behind him. He had Hanniger right behind him most of the year last year, right? And then Nelson Cruz? I think so. So, I mean, he scored 91 runs last year. I think that's well within the realm of possibility if he can play 140 games again. Mm-hmm. Um, he's probably a fifth, maybe a 15-15 guy and home runs and stolen bases, and you don't get any RBI and he hits 300. So I, he's not useless in fantasy. I just don't – I think he's going to be a bust in terms of steals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, I, I could understand that argument. We've got one category left before Adam yells at me for going too long, so we'll move through this one quickly. It's wins. Can you plan for wins at all, Scott? Yeah, I do. Okay. Just draft good pitchers on good teams? My, my biggest question no, it's, is... it's more it's more in the fringes where, you know, somebody like Rick Porcello is mostly valuable because of his win potential. Somebody, and, you know, that's a similar argument I was making for Evaldi. Right. Uh, it, it can take in the right scenario, particular, I, I think it's actually, actually easier to do in today's environment when there are so few pitchers who, um, have the leash to go six plus innings consistently because that, that 
along with supporting cast is how you wind up with a formula for big win total from a pitcher who, um, you know, might not stand out otherwise. Okay, I'll just get to my win sleeper is Joe Musgrove. Ten of his last 11 starts last year, he went at least six innings. He went seven innings in a lot of those. He got a little bit unlucky in terms of his ERA, but he got off to a terrible start, had his season delayed because of injury, wasn't any good when he first came out. Basically, his last 13 starts, he was a good starting pitcher. I think he's going to be a good starting pitcher in 2019. My wins breakout is Jose Barrios because I will never give up on him. Tell me if you think this sounds like a lot, Scott. He had seven starts last year where he went at least six innings, gave up two runs or fewer, and did not get a win. That sounds like a lot, yeah. I thought it seemed like a lot. Then my wins bust is the guy we've been waiting to talk about, Rick Porcello. He was terrible last year. He's a league average pitcher. He might win 13 games with a four ERA and no help in strikeouts and a mediocre whip. He is not a league average pitcher. Come on. He, he is at best a league average pitcher. You know what? He Okay, he he was a 3.1 war pitcher last year, so that is significantly better than league average. He is a league average starting pitcher. He His ERA plus the last two years has been 98 and 102. That is the definition of replacement level. Okay, but he's very efficient. He is one of the best strike throwers in baseball. His strikeout rate is now actually pretty good. It's close to one per inning. Um, and he's, he's one of those, well, like I was saying, he was the example I used when we first started talking but, about this. But about the year how before. Consistently, the, the Red Sox let him pitch deep into games. The year before, he lost 17 games. Yeah, that was, he was, he was much better last year than he was two years ago. Well, yes, that is true. He has had one really good year in his career, two really good years in his career. I think he's a league average pitcher, and I don't want any part of Rick Porcello. Not just don't go chasing Porcello Falls. Yeah, I mean, I like him a lot more in points than Roto. I mean, you don't really care what his ERA is in points leagues as long as he's giving you innings and wins, right? Agreed. And this is Heath's wins bust. These are all rotisserie based because they are about the Roto categories. Mm, Fair enough. Okay, so we don't have time for a lot of emails, but I want to read one. We'll read more on Friday. And I'm going to read one that's not a keeper's email. And if you send us more not keeper's emails, we will read more of your emails. Scott, rank these starting pitchers from most likely to least likely to reach 200 innings this season. Zach Grinke, Carlos Carrasco, Cole Hamels, Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner. Most likely to least likely. Okay, most likely is Zach Granke. Followed by Carlos Carrasco. First of all, I think Granke's going to be the only one to do it. Let me just put that out that, there. That's good. Good help for Justin. Okay, so Granke, Carrasco, Hamels, Bumgarner, Kershaw. Bumgarner over Kershaw. Yeah, Kershaw has zero chance of getting to 200 innings, I think, ever again. Because wow. Of, because of his chronic back issues. Um, they're just, he's just not going to, like the Dodgers are going to have to rest him per- periodically to keep his fastball from completely dying. That's going to do it for the Wednesday edition of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Thank you for putting up for my hostings. Thank you, Scott, for being so patient and not putting, pointing out any more of my errors after you did so to open the show. And we will talk to everybody again on Friday.